I'm Tom Tate, and this is the Power Time Podcast. Step right up and come on in. Here's where the fun begins. There's so much to do. Get it ready just for you. Everybody's busy bringing you a Disney afternoon. Hey, what's up, Power Players? Welcome to episode 14 of the Power Time Podcast. I'm your host and guide, Tom Tate, and I will be taking you through a journey through the history of Nintendo, one issue of Nintendo Power Magazine at a time. We are back with a more formal episode as last week uh, I kind of ran a bit of an experiment sharing stories and memories from gamers who remember fondly Super Mario Bros. 3. Uh, I got some great feedback on that episode, so I might try that again soon with a different title or a different topic. Uh, And if you haven't checked that out, definitely go back and check that out at PowerTimePodcast.com. So we're going to get right into today's episode because it is packed to the brim with content. Uh, There's a lot to cover. Uh, So get ready to crack open the old time capsule and enjoy today's show. So let's jump right in. Uh, Let's take a look at the cover of this Nintendo Power issue. This is issue number 14, the July-August 1990 issue. This issue features two gumshoes, a pair of chipmunks that we know as Disney's Chip and Dale. The cover showcases the official Nintendo-licensed animations of Chip and Dale. Uh, In the background, uh, we also have the villainous Fat Cat, uh, which appears to be in a living room or a library. Uh, There's some books in the background. It, It Kind of looks like an office. There's a lamp. And it's nice because this reminds me of the DuckTales cover where they actually got the license uh, to use the real characters uh, so it doesn't look like a cheap uh, knockoff as a couple Nintendo Power covers tend to do. Uh, So let's take a look. Uh, This issue is $3.50 still and $4.50 in Canada. Still have that uh, exchange rate. Uh, We have Disney's Chippendale Rescue Rangers at the forefront. And then we have Don't Miss, Golgo 13, The Moffat Conspiracy. Uh, Plus, we also have previews. Uh, We'll take a look at Mission Impossible and Castlevania 3. And then bonus content, we have Final Fantasy Treasure Quest Part 2. Not much else on the cover here. We have uh, the official Nintendo Seal of Quality. Uh, Nintendo Power is still the source for NES players straight from the pros. Uh, and turning the page, taking a look at the table of contents, we have a ton of awesome games. So as I mentioned, we have Rescue Rangers, Golgo 13, uh, but we're also going to be covering Snake's Revenge, Solstice, and Crystallis. Uh, there's a CES report in this issue, uh, a couple of Game Boy games. Uh, we have a ton of new games that were uh, previewed. Uh, we have Ninja Gaiden 3 or Ninja Gaiden 2 mentioned here, The Dark Sword of Chaos, once again. Uh, Howard and Nestor comic, uh, the poster for this issue uh, looks pretty awesome. It's a Castlevania 3 uh, poster. So that's coming up on the horizon. We'll catch a little bit of Castlevania 3 in the previews along with Maniac Mansion and Mission Impossible. And also right here is a list of the staff that put together the magazine. I like to keep an eye on this uh, just to check out for any major shifts. Uh, So the editor-in-chief is still uh, the infamous Gail Tilden, and Howard Phillips is still one of the two senior editors. 
Uh, so I'm going to keep a close eye on that. Uh, but that's going to cover you know the the table of contents. Uh, we're going to jump right in. Let's do this. So immediately we have uh, once again Final Fantasy. So Nintendo Power just can't seem to get enough of Final Fantasy. I know it was a popular game. It must have been doing well, uh, or maybe it wasn't doing well at first, and that's why Nintendo Power pushed it so much. Uh, but of course, I remember uh, this title existing. Uh, and of course, I remember it being a long, epic adventure. Uh, but once again, you know, we open up another issue uh, with a feature on this classic RPG. Uh, this time, uh, this in this issue, it's framed as a quick start guide for players who are just getting started. Uh, and it takes you through uh, Coneria to Crescent Lake. Uh, there are a lot of snackable uh, advice to help you move along on your quest and figure out what to do followed by a two-page spread that shows off the vast world map. So if you didn't believe that this was a big game, uh, this feature in Nintendo Power will convince you. After that, the issue continues to move you through the game's various locations like the Ice Cave, Ryukan Desert, uh, Castle of Ordeal, and there's a bunch more. Um, but still, you know, the issue's uh, feature, it doesn't cover the entire game. It takes you pretty far, so I'm imagining we'll see a bit more of Final Fantasy in a future issue. Uh, but it looks like there's also another Final Fantasy treasure quest sweepstakes contest uh, that's featured here as well. So again, Final Fantasy, great series, one of my favorites, don't get me wrong. I'm excited uh, to see that it's receiving so much coverage in Nintendo Power uh, and I'm curious, do you have any fond memories of Final Fantasy? Give me a shout on Twitter at YoPowerTime. Uh, let me know or hop into our private group and start a conversation. Uh, you can find out more at PowerTimePodcast.com slash Unlocked. Uh, perhaps uh, Final Fantasy is the next episode that I do uh, soliciting gamer stories, uh, just like our Mario 3 episode. We'll see. But I'm not going to dwell on Final Fantasy for another week, Power Players. I'm going to jump right into one of my favorite games of all time. But before we do that, I want to nuke some kid cuisines in the old microwave. I'm going to uh, head upstairs and bust out the Dunkaroos. Uh, I'm going to grab some Ecto Cooler because I'm a little parched. And I'm going to get ready for a Disney afternoon. Join Chip and Dale in a wild and wacky adventure to save Gadget from the big city bad guy, Fat Cat. These amazing pint-sized detectives are ready for their greatest adventure in the latest Disney character game from Capcom. That frightening feline Fat Cat has kidnapped their pale Gadget. Now Chip and Dale have to go face a slew of mechanical dogs and robot rats to save her from Fat Cat's clutches. Jump into the action and go for a chipmunk-sized romp through a human-sized world. This is Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers for the Nintendo Entertainment System. 
So I absolutely loved this show along with DuckTales. I was a huge uh, Disney fanboy, uh, The Adventures of the Gummy Bears, uh, Darkwing Duck eventually, uh, even later shows like uh, The Mighty Ducks, uh, The Crazy Mighty Ducks uh, show, Quack Pack. Uh, I was just a big, big fan. And I especially loved all of the Disney Capcom games, uh, and this game especially, uh, and I'll explain why in just a bit. So this initial spread in Nintendo Power introduces a lot of the gameplay elements, uh, the basic techniques that you have to master. Uh, if you want to have a fighting chance at making it all the way to Fat Cat's hideout, um, so you can hide in crates. Uh, first, you can pick up crates. That was cool. So you can pick up items and throw them. Uh, one of the items you can pick up is a crate. And if you press down on the control pad, uh, you actually hide in the crate. And if I remember correctly, uh, enemies couldn't hurt you when you were hiding in the crate. Uh, it's kind of a Metal Gear-esque uh, uh, control scheme, which was interesting, uh, or gameplay dynamic. Uh, you could throw things, again, so you can throw the crates. Uh, you can throw steel boxes, uh, apples, all kinds of things that you could pick up. Uh, you collectibles, uh, there were flowers and stars that you could collect. Uh, they would add uh, points and eventually get you a one-up uh, if you acquired so many. Uh, so teamwork is a must. Uh, one of the cool things about this game was it was, uh, was two-player simultaneous play. Uh, so you can grab a friend and take off with both Chip and Dale or go solo. Uh, Two-player action makes for 10 times the fun. So I don't know if that's scientifically proven that it was 10 times the fun, uh, but it was certainly fun to play Chip and Dale with a friend, having two of the, uh, having both chipmunks on screen at the same time, not having to take turns. Again, I'll, I'll touch on that briefly uh, after the feature. Uh, but yeah, this game was awesome uh, in terms of being able to to play with a buddy uh, and play with a buddy at the same time. Uh, there were some special items, as I mentioned, flowers and stars, uh, but you could also get acorns, uh, which kind of gave you uh, temporary, temporary uh, invincibility. Uh, there were also bombs in this game that you could toss and they would explode. It's funny, in the Nintendo Power issue, the bombs are described as black balls, uh, but it is clearly a picture of a bomb, and it says toss them quickly or they'll explode. Uh, so I guess they wanted to shy away from using that word. Uh, I can understand that. This is a children's game, uh, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, of course, with Nintendo Power, there's a full map layout for the first level, the park. Uh, that culminates with a boss battle uh, that I remember pretty well. It was the Brusher. It was like a street sweeper type of robot enemy. Uh, and it was fairly easy to beat, uh, but I do I do recall that uh, it kind of had like a bulb in the middle that you had to hit uh, with uh, these these cannon uh, type balls that you would throw up. Uh, after that, there's uh, Zone A. is It's a uh, a tree level that you would scale. Uh, zone B, the coffee shop and kitchen. Zone C, the library. Zone D, a toy factory, maybe uh, some kind of factory uh, where there were these crazy toys that would come after you. Uh, I remember the boss pretty well, uh, which was a robot. Uh, well, most of them were robots, if I recall. Uh, but this one I, d I do remember from Zone D. Uh, Zone E was like outside. It was like farm or country, kind of a rural area uh, with a fish enemy at the end. Uh, I remember that one being a bit interesting. Uh, Zone F, uh, some type of factory level again. Zone G uh, was Fat Cat's Casino. And I recall the slot machines in that particular episode. And there are three more zones that are not covered here. 
H, I, and J. Uh, so I guess uh, Nintendo wanted to leave a few uncovered uh, so that you can push through uh, and have an element of surprise when you got to those final levels. Bonus rounds uh, in this game are also covered in this issue. You had to clear a ton of boxes. Uh, some snappy music uh, went along with that. And a little stage select screen. Uh, I do remember this. Uh, so you could choose your path. So you didn't have to go in a super linear fashion, if I, if I recall correctly. Uh, and you, you flew in their uh, airship. Uh, whatever that airship was that, that Chippendale had in Rescue Rangers, uh, you would fly around on this little world map and choose your levels. Uh, so we are going to take a quick break and listen to another track, and we'll be back again to talk about the history of this amazing game, Chippendale's uh, Rescue Rangers. And this track is from the first stage. Uh, so if you remember this game fondly, uh, you will probably remember uh, firing up the old NES and listening to this tune. So there are a few companies outside of Nintendo that truly dominated the NES with consistently high quality and memorable titles. And one of those companies, in my honest opinion, my humble opinion, hands down, was Capcom. Uh, They created franchises that began on the NES, and those franchises continue to this day, and they are well-loved to this day. Uh, Doing some quick research, uh, it looks like they published... Somewhere between 30 and 40 titles on the NES. Don't quote me on that, uh, but it looks like the the magic number is somewhere between 30 and 40, which is pretty impressive uh, considering that the uh, lifespan of the NES wasn't too long uh, and the golden years was an even shorter period. Uh, But we had games like Bionic Commando, Codenamed Viper, uh, Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, We had six Mega Man titles. Uh, developed and published by Capcom on the NES. Uh, We had Strider, which we've covered in a previous episode. Uh, And they've put out some cool titles based on various franchises. Um, So one of my uh, favorite kind of cult classic games is Yo Noid, uh, based on the Domino's Pizza mascot, the Noid. Uh, And Willow uh, was developed and published by Capcom. So it was pretty cool to see Capcom put out such great games. Uh, But for me, uh, so let's see, being a young lad, in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, I especially knew Capcom for publishing the video game counterparts to my favorite uh, Disney afternoon cartoons. So 
that we've touched on this a bit in past episodes, especially episode eight where we covered uh, DuckTales and even before that where we covered uh, Mickey Mouse Capade. Uh, but yeah, Capcom had a partnership uh, with Disney and they consistently put out these amazing Disney titles. Uh, so Hardcore Gaming 101, uh, which is a fantastic website, they have an awesome retrospective on the Capcom Disney partnership. So I'll pull some great content from there. And of course, I will link it uh, up in the show notes so that you can check out that article. Uh, it's a multi-page article. It's pretty cool. Uh, and you can learn more if you'd like. Uh, but I will uh, explore a little bit right now. You know, So the partnership, it really started again with Mickey Mousecapade in 1987. Uh, so what I learned uh, a couple of months ago is that Mickey Mousecapade was not Capcom's first developed Disney title. Uh, but rather, it was the first published title uh, in, in this partnership. The game was actually developed by Hudson, and there's some similarity in the music and gameplay to other Hudson games from that same era. Uh, there's an appearance from the Hudson Bee, uh, which I guess was the mascot of Hudson at the time. Uh, so it's a bizarre game. It's definitely worth checking out if you haven't already. Uh, and while it has the Capcom logo on the box, like for me, it always felt a little bit separate and quality of both the representation of the characters and the franchise and the gameplay. Uh, so some 25 odd years later, uh, I, I now I know you know why that's the case. Now I know why it always felt a little bit off, a little bit separate, because it wasn't actually developed by Capcom. Uh, that wasn't the case shortly after uh, Mickey Mouse Capade was released, because after that, we saw the release of DuckTales on the NES. And uh, there was actually a Game Boy version as well, which I've never played. Uh, and Capcom developed and published DuckTales. So again, episode 8, uh, powertimepodcast.com slash 8 is the show you want to listen to if you haven't checked that out already to learn about DuckTales. Uh, and you can, check, uh, you can check out a lot of cool uh, information about the development of that game uh, and listen to some of the cool music because we all know it's classic. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail here, uh, but when talking about quality, right, when talking about the quality of gameplay, Comparing Mickey Mousecapade to DuckTales, they are just leagues apart. So DuckTales really brought it uh, in terms of gameplay quality, music, uh, production quality, everything, right? It's such an awesome title, one of my favorites. Uh, and when looking at the Disney-Capcom partnership, uh, that's the benchmark, right? Uh, and you could even say the same for the cartoons. Uh, so it's almost like the DuckTales cartoon was the benchmark uh, by which future Disney cartoons would be measured in this time period because it was so successful and because it set such a high bar. So after DuckTales, uh, we flash forward to June 1990. Uh, this is when Capcom released the game of the hour, Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Uh, the show itself ran for three seasons, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot. Uh, so from 1988 uh, slash 1989 to 1990. So it was really only two and a half, three years uh, that new episodes were aired. Uh, but during that period, uh, I did a little bit of research on this. It looks like they released 65 episodes, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, and then, of course, those 65 episodes went into syndication uh, here in the States on the Disney Channel, and I believe either CBS, ABC, some combination of the two, uh, so it was on all the time for the next, you know, half a decade to a decade. It was just uh, 
Rescue Rangers, DuckTales, uh, all of this uh, was being played in syndication uh, in uh, in the afternoon through the Disney afternoon programming, Saturday mornings. Uh, I just couldn't escape it. And that's fine because I loved it. Uh, the game itself, it, it follows two chipmunks. Chip, uh, who is kind of based off of D- Indiana Jones, uh, so you can kind of get that Indiana Jones uh, vibe with the hat and the vest. Uh, and Dale, who is based on Magnum P.I. Uh, so his, his dress, his attire, is uh, kind of a callback to Magnum P.I. And the main villain was a gangster cat, fat cat. So if you're not familiar, hop on YouTube, uh, check out some stuff. Uh, you can check out the theme uh, to Rescue Rangers. I can put that in the show notes. Uh, it was a fun show. It was good. Uh, second to DuckTales for me, uh, but I definitely watched a ton of all of these shows uh, back in the day. So details on the actual development of the game uh, and most of these Capcom titles, they're a bit hard to come by, but I did learn some fun stuff. So the producer of the game was a Konami veteran, Tokoro Fujiwara, uh, and he was behind games like Bionic Commando and Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, he was also the producer of Mega Man 2, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but what I was most excited to learn was that uh, Fujiwara is actually the mastermind behind Resident Evil. Uh, so I haven't really thought too deeply on how the Rescue Rangers gameplay might have influenced uh, some decisions he made in Resident Evil, but there might be something there. I don't know if any of the power players out there want to do a little bit of a research project, but I wonder how many parallels there are in these two games. Uh, But I thought that was really interesting, certainly timely, because Resident Evil 7 uh, was just released recently. Uh, I don't know. I I might do some pondering on that one. Uh, But the designer for this game was uh, Masayoshi uh, Kurokawa, And the music was composed by Harumi Fujita. And uh, she actually worked with Fujiwara uh, on a bunch of earlier and future projects. Uh, So she's credited for doing uh, the Needleman and Gemini Man and uh, part of the staff role for Mega Man 3. Um, So she has some chops when it comes to putting the music together, uh, which is really awesome. Uh, So... Small staff on this game, uh, like many Capcom titles, it is a side-scrolling action platformer. You run, you jump, you attack enemies while avoiding obstacles. Uh, there are things to collect, and at the end of each stage, there's a boss battle. Uh, it, there's no password system in this game. Uh, you just have to play it from start to finish, which is fine because it's not a very long game, especially with two players. Um, and if you recall, the uh, distinct gameplay element in DuckTales was the pogo stick. So in DuckTales, you had the pogo stick. You could do a lot with it, uh, more than just kind of hop on it. Uh, You could use it as a golf club, things like that. In Chip and Dale, the distinct element is the ability to pick up and throw items, acorns, boxes, apples. There are a lot of different things that you can throw at enemies, uh, and there are even some steel boxes that you can throw uh, which don't break and they stack, and you can create opportunities to jump on them and reach new heights, get past certain obstacles. Uh, What was the real kicker for me, though, uh, with this game and probably my fondest memories uh, of Rescue Rangers was the two-player mode. Uh, This game had a full-on two-player co-op mode. Uh, So me and my boys, my neighbors, me and my older sister, we could really play this game together uh, and we could work together and enjoy the game 
without having to take turns while someone else watched, which I, I was accustomed to certainly back in the day. You know, Super Mario Brothers 3, we talked about last week, you would take turns with that game uh, unless you were playing the battle mode. This wasn't the case, uh, you know, with, with uh, Rescue Rangers. Uh, so I was really pumped about that. Not to mention it was based on a Disney franchise that everyone loved. So this was a fan favorite in my, my house and my friends' houses uh, when we wanted to play a game that everyone could get behind. So until uh, Turtles 2, uh, the arcade game, and uh, Turtles 3, was uh, the, when, until those games were released, I'll put it this way, until those games were released, uh, this was probably the co-op game of choice uh, until we had access to those arcade brawler type of games. Uh, if you want to play Rescue Rangers today, unfortunately, it's not easily obtainable legally, uh, but it is a cheap cartridge to scoop if you have an NES out there and you want to play uh, this game. Uh, here's hoping, you know, fingers crossed, I'm hoping in the future that Nintendo and Capcom and Disney, uh, maybe a company like WayForward, who absolutely crushed the DuckTales remaster, I'm hoping they could pick this up because uh, they can make a killer two-player reincarnation of this game. Uh, we'll see, especially with the Switch. Uh, so the Nintendo Switch basically has two built-in controllers. So two-player action on the Switch uh, with a redesigned Rescue Rangers game. Mm, that would be awesome. Okay, Power Players, uh, that's going to wrap up this feature on Rescue Rangers. I hope you enjoyed it. Hop on Twitter. You can reach me at Yo Power Time. Hop on Facebook. Let me know what your favorite memories are of Rescue Rangers. Did were you sitting uh, Indian style in front of the TV playing with a sibling uh, or playing with a friend uh, or playing solo and just beating this game over and over and over again, uh, just crushing Fat Cat? Let me know, uh, and we can keep this conversation going after the episode. But for now, we're going to move on to our next feature. So the next game covered is Snake's Revenge. Solid Snake is on a new mission beyond the edge. Back behind enemy lines, Solid Snake has his work cut out for him. The toughest commando since Rambo is on his own, although he might get a little help from his friends. Of course, I'm referencing Solid Snake, and we are talking about the sequel to Metal Gear. I'll be completely honest, my experience with Metal Gear started with Metal Gear Solid on PlayStation Uh, because I couldn't get past the first level in the original Metal Gear, and I didn't even want to bother with Snake's Revenge because of how hard it was. Uh, Luckily, uh, Nintendo Power subscribers, they had access to maps for the first jungle stage, the warehouse, and the ship. Uh, There are plenty of tips and tricks to help you out here. Uh, Also reviewed in this issue, uh, we have the latest game in the Golgo 13 series, the Moffat Conspiracy. Touched on this a bit a few episodes ago. Uh, There's so much to do in this game, so many different styles of gameplay. You travel the world in this game. Uh, You have some espionage, James Bond-like action. Uh, Definitely looks awesome. I'm going to add this one to my backlog. But I'm not excited to play this uh, as much as our next title, which is another game that I have to carve out time to play. I keep talking about it. Uh, I've mentioned it before in the past. Anytime there's a story that begins with, you've been frozen in time for 100 years, I'm all in. I love those types of stories. Uh, And this one happens to be a post-nuclear fallout action RPG uh, from SNK called Crystallis. Uh, And 
I love post-nuclear Fallout action RPGs. Uh, Fallout 3 uh, was one of my favorite games of all time. I still haven't played 4, uh, but yes, I love the setting of this game. I love the setup of the story. Uh, and it gets a good eight pages in this issue. Lots of maps and tips. Very important for an RPG, especially back in the day when RPGs were a bit new for console game- gamers. Uh, and it provided some direction, uh, especially you know in the NES days, you needed that. Uh, there is a list of 54 steps to follow to help you on your journey and a list of items, treasure, and weapons to collect. Uh, the game looks fairly massive, uh, so I didn't really look up how long it takes to complete this game, uh, but it looks pretty big. Uh, and while I haven't played it, I've listened to the soundtrack a ton. Uh, I'm going to play a quick track from the intro of this game, uh, and then we're just going to keep this episode moving along. So again, this is from Crystallis. So before there was E3, uh, there was CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. This happened both in the winter and summer. And in this issue of Nintendo Power, issue 14, we catch a slew of games that uh, were featured at the summer show in Chicago in 1990. Uh, I've covered Nintendo Power's CES previews in the past, but this one uh, actually has me more excited uh, than any of the previous ones. And I will tell you why. Uh, The first game that's really referenced here is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sequel from Konami, uh, and this is a port of the arcade game. So I have fond memories of playing the Turtles arcade uh, at Chuck E. Cheese, the local Chuck E. Cheese in my town. Uh, Wasted so many quarters on that game, playing co-op with my friends. So the thought of playing on a console was really, really exciting. And as soon as this uh, Turtles the Arcade game was released, uh, it became a staple uh, in my neighborhood for sure. Uh, Dr. Mario uh, here as well, another great game. We have Mega Man 3 here as well. I would say probably my favorite Mega Man. Not the best Mega Man, but I would say Mega Man 3 is my favorite. Uh, We have Power Mission, uh, more Mega Action uh, in the tradition of Mega Man 2, Deja Vu, Uh, A sequel to Shadowgate, Deja Vu features the same great gameplay with a modern-day detective story background. I remember Deja Vu. Uh, Let's see. Uh, There's also a preview of The Simpsons. Uh, So if you remember Bart vs. the Space Mutants, uh, that's here. Uh, And some Game Boy games. Uh, So the Game Boy games featured, we have DuckTales, TMNT, Skate or Die. Uh, We have uh, Dragon's Lair, NES Play Action Football, uh, these games really bring the heat. We're starting to see some games that are, albeit downsized uh, versions, uh, but we are seeing ports from NES counterparts. Uh, and these were all great games uh, that were released on Game Boy. So Game Boy is getting even more exciting as well. Uh, so that's going to wrap up our features uh, section for today's episode. Uh, and it's going to take us directly into our next segment of the show, which is previews. 
kick things off, we have Konami's Castlevania 3 Dracula's Curse, and we just heard uh, the beginning from the year 200X. Uh, they have amazing, heavy, uh, metalish covers of great video game songs from this era. I definitely recommend you check them out. So this game set 100 years before Simon's Quest. You control one of Simon Belmont's ancestors, uh, Trevor C. Belmont. We'll talk a bit about this game in future episodes, so I'm not going to go into too much detail now. Uh, but there is a lot covered here in this issue. Uh, you learn a bit about Alucard, uh, the rebellious son of Dracula, which makes sense uh, because the name is actually Dracula spelled backwards. Uh, we have Sifa Belmades, the mysterious wizard. We have Grant Dynasty, the wall-climbing thief. Uh, there's a password system here, uh, which they compare to Mega Man, uh, but that's nice. Uh, and I'm I'm bummed that I'm short on time uh, because there are some really great development notes regarding this game. So there's a lot that went into the development of Castlevania 3. Uh, a lot of the stories out there are mostly around the different chips that were used. It gets a bit technical. Uh, some stories around the music, which differed from the Japanese version. Uh, so hopefully we can dig in later uh, and reveal some more cool details about the development of this game. After that, though, we have a personal favorite, the bizarre point-and-click adventure Maniac Mansion from Lucasfilm Games and Jalico. Uh, you control a party of teenage characters exploring a strange mansion in an attempt to rescue the protagonist, Dave's girlfriend, Sandy. This game, uh, Maniac Mansion, one of my favorites growing up, is absolutely insane. Uh, it's going to be a cover story in a future issue, so let's just keep moving on in this episode uh, but trust me, I'm going to talk in great detail on Maniac Mansion soon uh, within the next few weeks uh, because it is just so awesome. And I'm actually excited. I'm going to replay the game uh, and share some stories from that as well. Up next, we have uh, Mission Impossible. Of course, this is based on the popular franchise. Uh, this is developed uh, by Ultra. Uh, sort of like Metal Gear, it appears. Uh, it looks like you control Jim Phelps, uh, not Ethan. Uh, and this, of course, is pre-Tom Cruise Mission Impossible. Uh, so it's not based on that franchise. But you'll remember that Mission Impossible, I believe, got an, an N64 uh, version back in its day when that movie came out. Video shorts, uh, again, that's a major section in most Nintendo Power issues. Uh, in this issue, particularly, it features Adventures in the Magic Kingdom, Capcom's next Disney title. Uh, this one I definitely remember getting uh, for a birthday. Uh, and being super pumped about it, uh, despite the game itself being kind of just okay. We have Rad Racer 2, uh, World GP. We have Wizardry, Arkista's Ring, Pinball Quest, Wall Street Kid. Finally, we get Wall Street Kid. Uh, Heavy Shredding, Boulder Dash, Bad News Baseball, Battle Chess, Jeopardy, Pictionary, Silkworm, Image Fight, The Last Starfighter, and Mechanized Attack. So lots of titles and video shorts. In Packwatch, we have some great ones. A uh, ton of amazing games here. Street Fighter 2010, The Final Fight. Little Nemo, The Dream Master. Can't wait to cover that one. Uh, Destiny of an Empire. All of those coming from Capcom, Fall of 1990. Uh, Solar Jetman uh, is on the way from Rare. Dick Tracy from Bandai. Silver Surfer. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, we have Skate or Die. Sim City uh, from Nintendo, uh, or published by Nintendo at least. Uh, we have Dr. Mario and a few others. Uh, surprisingly, it looks like 
Punch-Out 2 is listed on the re- the release schedule for August. Uh, we all know that Punch-Out didn't have a direct sequel on the NES. At least it wasn't called Punch-Out 2. So I started going down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out what is this Punch-Out 2 that's listed in Nintendo Power. And I had to stop uh, just because there's so much uh, interesting information about this title and the franchise out there. Um, especially, you know, so many uh, uh, scandalous things happened with Mike Tyson back in the day. Uh, so they removed him and then it became Mr. Dream. Uh, you know, all those details. Uh, but there is a game called Power Punch 2. And this might have been what Nintendo Power is referencing uh, in this issue. Uh, so maybe I'll keep digging around. You know, maybe for my next podcast after Power Time, I'll just dive into all the weird and bizarre and canceled games uh, that existed back in the retro era. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, so that's going to cover the previews. Uh, we are going to jump right into our next segment. And our next segment is That's So Retro. Uh, this segment is really just an opportunity for me to pull out uh, some interesting, super retro pieces uh, that really call back to what it was like living in 1990. Uh, and we're going to start with a shout out uh, to this issue's Howard and Nestor comic uh, because it's really, really goofy. Uh, it's goofy in a way that only 1990s comics would be. Uh, it involves the Super C guys. There's a lot of bad puns uh, and references to the NES Advantage controller. It's just a really bizarre, uh, really quirky uh, comic that they released this particular issue. And speaking of quirky, every episode I like to feature a gameplay counselor profile. And this issue is no different. We are going to go with Rich Richardson. Rich became a gameplay counselor in March of 1989. His hobbies include motorcycles, hard rock, tapes, and CDs. His highest game score, uh, he was the first GPC to finish Hudson's Adventure Island. And his favorite NES game is Super Mario Bros. 3. Uh, So Rich Richardson, we at Power Time Podcast, we salute you. Uh, Thank you back in the day for doing what you do. Uh, and you know, if we ever, uh, meet in person, we'll blast some hard rock together, listen to a couple tapes, listen to a couple CDs, play some super Mario brothers three. Um, but yeah, thank you, rich. Another retro bit in this issue is a profile on spot, uh, the NES puzzle game featuring seven ups mascot spot, the proclaimed mischievous prankster. Uh, I don't remember him being a mischievous prankster. Uh, I certainly remember the character the franchise, uh, but I do remember playing this game uh, back in the day. I remember it being a bit too challenging as a kid. Uh, so I'd be excited to try this again now since I'm a fan of puzzle games uh, and it looks like it's just enough strategy that I would really get into it. Uh, so yeah, Spot uh, for the NES, one of the amazing uh, franchises based on a food or beverage. Uh, moving on, we're going to check out our next segment, Are We Having Fun Yet? And this segment is really just an opportunity for me to share uh, a lot of the fun, quirky things that aren't super retro, uh, but they really didn't fit in anywhere else. Uh, The first thing I want to feature is from Mailbox. Uh, So in the beginning of the uh, issues, it used to be at the end, now it's at the beginning, uh, there's fan mail that comes in uh, to Nintendo headquarters. And they go through the fan mail and somebody writes responses uh, to some of the fan mail. And the letters themselves, they come from kids, uh, they come from parents, grandparents. Uh, It was just a different time back then. And the way that people talk about Nintendo and talk about games, uh, it's just completely different than it is now. So it's fun to go back and read some of these letters. 
Uh, so I'm going to read a letter real quick. And what I want you to hear is some of the silly dark humor uh, that Nintendo, Nintendo had in some of the responses. Uh, really sick, twisted humor from Nintendo. Uh, so this letter is titled Fun in the Sun. Both of my children are Nintendo fans and spend hours indoors perfecting their games. As residents of Federal Way, Washington, we get about 56 sunny days a year. And as a mom, I feel obligated to shoo them outside on those rare days when the sun shines. Thank goodness for Game Boy. Now I can prop them against the deck railing outdoors in the sun, and they never have to miss a beat. Uh, that's from P.A. Dahl in Federal Way, Washington. And the response from Nintendo is, although Game Boy is great for outdoor play, we do not recommend exposing the screen to direct sunlight for prolonged periods of time. The sun sounds like it's great for your kids, though, but be sure to turn them over every so often so they tan evenly as they're propped against the railing. Uh, yeah, really, really strange response uh, to an otherwise nice letter recommending the Game Boy. Uh, and speaking of Game Boy, there are 10 Game Boy games featured in this issue. Uh, we have Double Dragon, Wizards and Warriors, Fortress of Fear, Final Fantasy Legend, uh, the first portable Final Fantasy for Game Boy, Wheel of Fortune, Lock and Chase, Spider-Man, Penguin Wars, Dexterity, uh, Pipe Dream, and Paperboy. So lots of titles coming to Game Boy. Uh, that's pretty awesome. NES Journal uh, has, a, has a pretty cool article on Lucasfilm. Uh, with Maniac Mansion, a PC port uh, that we talked about coming to the NES, Lucasfilm is now branching into the console business. Previously, they were just on PCs, uh, working on PCs. Uh, the team members, they share their thoughts on what makes a perfect game, uh, the importance of storytelling, and much more. And I found this quote to be interesting. Uh, one of the main differences between the NES and PCs is that the NES can do certain things much faster. Faster, And to me, that seems like it's the opposite these days. I think if you want faster, more powerful gaming, uh, you turn to building your own PC. Uh, so most PCs are outperforming top consoles. Uh, so again, it was a different time back then. Uh, some pro racers are featured here from NASCAR, the IndyCar circuit. We have Bill Elliott, Ivan Stewart. Al Unser Jr. and Michael Andretti, uh, all profiled here in a racing game special. Uh, there's an announcement of a rebranded Nintendo World Championship, uh, and that uh, is an NES journal, and it's going to be referred to from henceforth as Nintendo Power Fest 1990, which now features a magic show power pad demonstration by Reebok, the Nintendo Fruit Snacks video booth, and much more. Uh, so this was a crazy event. I would love to see this uh, make a revival. Uh, perhaps with the release of the Switch, uh, maybe if they have a strong virtual console lineup, uh, they can bring back Nintendo Power Fest uh, 2017. Uh, that would be hilarious. Uh, and this issue also marks the two-year mark for the publication. So Howard Phillips writes about this in the concluding pages of the magazine uh, that we are now at. Uh, two official years of Nintendo Power uh, being published. And that, of course, uh, brings us to the conclusion of this episode. But first, uh, before we wrap things up, we are going to reveal the top 10 as reported in issue number 14 of Nintendo Power's Top 30. So coming in at number one in the top 10, no surprise here, is Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, number two was Batman, uh, still hanging in there. Number three, Super Mario Brothers 2. 
uh, making the rounds. Four, Mar- uh, Mega Man 2. Five, Zelda 2. Uh, six is Tetris. Seven, The Legend of Zelda. Eight, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Nine, Tecmo Bowl. And ten, Shadowgate. Uh, so some interesting picks in this issue. Definitely a lot of variety in the top ten. Uh, up next week, uh, in the next issue of Nintendo Power, we have the September-October 1990 issue. Uh, we've got Mission Impossible, Maniac Mansion, and even more Final Fantasy. Um, so we're going to catch a little bit more Final Fantasy. Uh, hold on to your hats. So be sure to tune in for that episode. Uh, featured music on this episode. First, we heard a snippet from the Disney Afternoon theme. Had some fun with that one. Hope you enjoyed the throwback. Uh, we heard Azor Flux, uh, Eat My Chips, the unofficial theme to the Power Time podcast. Uh, we heard a few tracks from the original Rescue Rangers soundtrack in uh, 8-bit stereo, compliments of Nico, the Wii guy. Uh, links in the show notes. We heard a track uh, from Crystallis from the beginning of the game. And from Castlevania 3, we heard the beginning from the year 200X. So you can check out all of these artists and support them uh, and much more at powertimepodcast.com slash 14. All right, power players, that's going to wrap up today's episode. If you want to keep in the loop with all things power time, check out powertimepodcast.com slash unlocked uh, to join our private community and receive the weekly newsletter. Uh, and finally, finally, I love feedback, so if you're enjoying the show, let me know. If you're not, let me know as well. Uh, Let me know why so I can work on it. Uh, I'm here to serve you, the audience, the retro gamer, uh, nostalgic Nintendo fans of all ages. Uh, So, you know, tweet at me at YoPowerTime. Visit the site, uh, contact form. I would love to continue to improve the show. Uh, So let me know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, Format changes, more more music, less music, more talking, less talking. Maybe bring guests on the show. I don't know. Keep me posted. Let me know what you think. Uh, Thanks, as always, for your time and attention and participation. I have a lot of exciting things coming up in the future. Uh, I'm mapping out what I'm calling Power Time Podcast Season 2. I know that sounds a little strange. Uh, More to be revealed soon. Uh, But until then, until next time, keep on playing with power.